Welcome to CineStudy, an incomparable extravaganza featuring film breakdown, analysis, and overall good times. Now for our 37th episode, every Wes Anderson film ranked. Hello everybody, welcome back to CineStudy. My name is Dylan, and on today's episode, as you already heard, I'll be ranking every Wes Anderson feature film. Not his short films, not his commercials, just the features that he's directed. There's nine of them. They are In Release Order, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, The Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Isle of Dogs. Quick side note, sorry if my voice sounds a little bit hoarse. I don't know why it does right now, but I wanted to record this episode anyway. So Wes Anderson is actually not even one of my favorite directors. He's just a director whose filmography I kind of finished by coincidence. I watched three of his movies in three days, and then I was like, oh, I only have two more. Let's just finish this out. And of course, when I finish any director's filmography, I'm probably going to rank it. So that's why we're here today. Uh, But I also wanted to say that because you'll notice my scores are actually not super high, except for maybe a couple of these movies. So, you know, you'll see that as as we go. I feel like every one of his movies has a really dedicated following or like some subsection of the Wes Anderson fan base is like, this is his best. I love this one. There's there's not really a consensus, I feel like. Um, so I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be dishing out some opinions that will be controversial among that group, I guess, because, again, I'm not really like a huge Wes Anderson fan. But, you know, this is my list. So let's go for it. Let's get right into it. Coming in at the last spot, number nine with a 6 out of 10, is Moonrise Kingdom. I really I really do not like Moonrise Kingdom at all. I'm surprised I gave it a 6. I might have to bump it lower if I ever watch it again. Dear Susie, you have a superb voice. You are my favorite animal in the program by far. Please find and close. Dear Sam, thank you very much. I got replaced as the raven because I yelled at Mrs. Lynn. After that, I was only a blue jay, but... Dear Susie, I'm sorry that your brothers are so selfish. Maybe they will grow out of it. Sometimes people do things without knowing the reasons for Dear Sam, you are an excellent painter, especially trees and telephone poles. Is the girl in the water supposed to be me? My favorite color is Dear Susie, I accidentally built a fire while I was sleepwalking. I have no memory of this, but my foster parents think I am lying. Unfortunately, it is Dear Sam, I am in trouble again because I threw a rock through the window. My mother still has glass in her hair. Also, Dear Susie, I have been trying very hard to make friends, but I feel people do not like my personality. In fact, I can understand why they might not. Dear Sam, now I'm getting suspended because I got in a fight with Molly. She says I go berserk. Our principal is against me. The, the problem with this movie, for me at least, was it was just too cutesy. A lot of his movies have this kind of uh, quirkiness going for it and the, these you know, really detailed costumes and these pastels and it's all this kind of sweet world stuff. But here it was just too much of that in what was kind of this very basic world that we were taking in that direction. It's just like this island, and we really, really spun it that way for the first really noticeable time. All the other times he's done these kind of over-the-top worlds, it's felt really organic, and I'll get to that later on. But uh, here it was it was the random costumes with like that school play thing that we got, uh, and just this overly stylized world that it just kind of bugged me throughout. I don't know. If, it felt like it was a little bit too much. And the problem with it is, is I, like I said, some other ones felt more organic, but in, in those especially, there's a lot more substance underneath that style, uh, whether it be the characters or the actual concepts. And again, I'll get back to those when I mention movies that uh, this kind of quirkiness and uh, you know stylization, which is in all of his movies, where it really worked for me. Here, it just there felt like there was a lot of style and not a lot of substance, not a lot of characters I really enjoyed watching. 
I'll say maybe Jason Schwartzman, I enjoyed him, and Ed Norton was okay. Uh, but besides that, none of the characters really uh, caught on with me. The comedy never really landed in this movie for me. And the main storyline was just so awkward with some of its scenes in this kind of child romance we have going on that it was hard for me to engage in it. it I, I just It never really drew any emotion out of me. I, I couldn't get attached to these characters because it was just so quirky and awkward in this like really forced Wes Anderson way. It didn't feel, again, as natural as some of his other movies make it feel, which can happen with any director who has a really distinct style like he does. Occasionally, it just doesn't work because there's no substance underneath it. You're just witnessing another exhibit of his style, and for me, Moonrise Kingdom is that. And for a movie that's actually really brisk at an hour and 34 minutes, this movie felt like it went on forever. But again, I'll give some credit to Jason Schwartzman, as well as the spot where the main character just gets struck by lightning. Those are two highlights in a movie that I otherwise do not enjoy very much. So, number nine, Moonrise Kingdom. Coming in at number eight... Wait a second. Before we attack each other and tear ourselves to shreds like a pack of maniacs, let's just open the sack first and see what's actually in it. It might not even be worth the trouble. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I'm not what sure. Maybe. Hi. A rancid apple core, two worm-eaten banana peels, a moldy rice cake, a dried-up pickle, tin of sardine, bones, a pile of broken eggshells, an old smushed-up rotten gizzard with maggots all over it. Okay, it's worth it. Also with a 6 out of 10 is 2018's Isle of Dogs. Again, this, this suffered a similar problem where, for me, the characters were not very engaging. And while the production design was very fun, I, you know, the stop motion is always fun to watch. Any stop motion movie, I, there's always a ton of detail to take in. And while the score was also pretty solid, just kind of capturing this whole uh, Japan feel was pretty strong. It was, again, the characters that really brought it down for me. None of the dogs I really got into. A lot of them really underutilized or just generally unnecessary. I think about that main group that goes along with, uh, I don't even remember any of the dog's name, but we've got Brian Cranston as the main dog. And when you look at his group, which has a Bill Murray dog, a Jeff Goldblum Life, dog, and one uh, other dog I can't quite remember. None of those other three are very memorable besides Brian Cranston's dog. They're just kind of hanging out the whole time, and they don't, they don't do much. I just realized I completely forgot Ed Norton's dog. There's four dogs. Ed Norton's dog is actually the most memorable. It's kind of funny that that's the one I just forgot. But, but the, other, the other three just feel like they're kind of just there hanging out. They don't contribute much to the comedy, to the story, to any sort of emotion in this movie for me. I'll give Wes Anderson some credit for his clever ways he navigated this idea he had going with, with a language barrier, the way we had translators and foreign exchange students and occasionally subtitles and stuff like that. I thought that was actually a really cool exercise in creativity, you know, how can we get around that, even though it is a conscious choice to have that obstacle in the first place. But that challenge that they created for themselves may have also kind of restricted the empathy we could feel because, I mean, none of the human characters really drew anything for me either. You're trying to, you know, empathize with Atari as he's trying to find this dog, but the fact that it's stop motion, and even though you can get crazy detailed, it's not the nuance of a facial performance of someone in real life. You throw in that language barrier, and you throw in a story that's really just an A to B adventure story. There's not much to get behind. I will say one twist where some of the dogs head into the trash compactor and it turns out all right, but you just see them go in and you're like, uh-oh. That was a pretty fun moment. Again, really the saving grace of this movie is just the production and, and the way they capture some of this Japan stuff that's pretty cool. But, you know, other than that, not much of a fan of Isle of Dogs. And the message is kind of weird, too. This just kind of hit me last minute. I didn't really write down anything about this. But 
you know, I just don't know what we're trying to learn or, or accomplish with this movie. We've got dogs banished to this trash island, and at the end we bring them back and realize dogs aren't that bad. And I feel like there should be something deeper underneath that about, you know, relationships and love and friendship and, you know, the companionship between a friend and a dog should be explored more. And it really, really isn't because the whole time you're just like, yeah, Atari and, and his dog are looking out for each other and they're going to try and bring dogs back to this main island. You know, there's, I don't know, there's not much you can really take away from this movie, I felt like. All right, moving on to number seven, with a seven out of ten, we have Rushmore. Hey, Mr. Bloom. Hey, it's Max Fisher. Oh, hi. Hey, Max, my mom just showed up. Is it okay if I leave early? Over. Sure, Charlie. What's the secret, Max? The secret? Yeah, well, you seem to have it pretty figured out. Secret, I don't know. I, I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Rushmore started off really strong. I actually really enjoyed the first twenty minutes or so, and then I started to, uh, and then I started to have a few, a few issues as this movie went on. First of all. The lead in Jason Schwartzman, his performance is great, his comedy is great at times, but he, he's hardly empathetic at all. And you know, that can work at times. There's, there's plenty of movies where you don't really like the main character, but they're funny or they advance the story in some interesting way. But here, this movie kind of seems to wander off in different directions with this lead. This lead that you don't care about a ton, or at least for me, because, I don't know, again, a, a problem that has now persisted through these bottom three. There's just not many traits or motivations to get behind. He's just trying to form this relationship with a teacher, and that's really it. That's really all you can pull for. It seems to just wander off. We got just this little segment where, oh, we're going to make this aquarium and try and dedicate it to the teacher. Oh, no, now he's going to a new school, and he's going to start his new clubs there and do a new play there, and there's this new girl there, and maybe we pay a little bit of attention to her there. We've also got this fractured relationship with who used to be his right-hand man at Rushmore Academy when he leaves Rushmore, and, like, how are we dealing with that? And it seems to just kind of wander between these story points and storylines in a way that just wasn't very gripping is it just there there never felt like there was something to come back to except maybe the teacher storyline which suffered from the moonrise kingdom problem it was a little bit awkward that i didn't really pull for the final result in any way and when you toss bill murray into that mix it's like what am i supposed to be rooting for to have happen now again that's something else that can work really well not really knowing what is going to happen in a way that we're just seeing what these characters are doing and not necessarily not necessarily pulling for one over the other. But here, it just made a lot of these scenes fall flat. I also want to say the cinematography and production design was generally kind of bleak, and I don't know if they were trying to bring something across about the Academy and the, and the kind of polished and elite nature of it and the way that Max Fisher operates, but it was just very bland and brown and beige, and it was not very enjoyable to look at, not as colorful as a lot of Wes Anderson's other movies. And again, it felt like that for no reason. I feel like a little bit of pop of color or production design that Wes Anderson's known for could have elevated this movie a little bit more. It's at least consistent throughout the whole movie, but it wasn't exactly very interesting. Some highlights, though, in this one, because again, it's not a 6 out of 10, which means I generally disliked it. 7 is like, good, but I had some issues. The highlights here is when Bill Murray absolutely rejects a kid trying to play basketball. Uh, the Scottish guy who finally lands a role in the in the play at the end that just threw out. I love that guy. And uh, that play that I just mentioned, the Vietnam play, is kind of hysterical. All right, I don't want to spend much more time on Rushmore. It's just kind of there. It's just kind of fine in the middle of Wes Anderson's filmography for me. All right, coming in at number six, a movie that I already mini-reviewed on this podcast. 
is the Royal Tenenbaums. There were three extraordinary children in the Tenenbaum family. I said sell it, yeah. Chaz Tenenbaum was a financial expert and started buying real estate in his early teens. Margot Tenenbaum was an acclaimed playwright and won a Pulitzer Prize in the ninth grade. Richie Tenenbaum was a champion tennis player ranked second in the world by age 17. They were brilliant. They were famous. They were unlucky enough to be the children of a man named Royal Tenenbaum. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because you can just go listen to my mini-review, but to just kind of hit the main points. After seeing more Wes Anderson movies, this one is kind of retrospectively a bit quirk, a little bit too quirky or a bit quirkier than needed. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of realizing just in general I don't like Wes Anderson's really overly quirky and kind of I need some more adjectives besides that to describe his style, but you know what his style is, so I won't... Uh, harp on that much further. I'm starting to realize I don't really like that very much. It's the ones where it really works or he drops it all together, uh, those movies that are at the higher end of this list. And so looking back on this one, this one has a lot of those details. It's like, why does Gwyneth Paltrow need to have a wooden finger in this whole movie? Why does Owen Wilson need wow. to be dressed like a cowboy this whole movie? I don't know. There's like things like that. There's, there's choices in that realm that work. Like, I love the red tracksuits that Ben Stiller wears, and I love everything about Luke Wilson's character. But it is just a little bit too strange for my taste. Looking back, I actually really, I remember, enjoyed this movie uh, upon first watching, but it's just been surpassed by several other Wes Anderson movies at this point. I will say, with all this, it works better than things like Moonrise because it is a fairly nuanced and layered story about grief and this fractured family coming together and the kind of lies and betrayals that get involved there. The character of Royal Tenenbaum, as well as uh, the already mentioned Luke Wilson character of Richie Tenenbaum, are developed extremely well and have interesting storylines and motivations and choices that are impactful to the story and keep you on your toes in some ways as a viewer. I love the character of Pagoda for some reason. And two scenes that just really stand out for me is there's a chase scene towards the end of this movie involving Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson that is really fun. Um, as well as some kind of crazy repercussions that come out of that sequence. Uh, and then the scene that most people know, uh, if you've seen this movie, the bathroom scene, the Elliot Smith scene. I don't want to spoil anything with regards to that scene, but that is a really well done scene in terms of the color, the cinematography, the way it's planted in the middle of this movie and just kind of, it doesn't come out of left field, but it's like, oh wow, this just took a turn. And the, the music choice, I kind of literally referred to this scene by the music. So that kind of tells you what you need to know there. Those are two highlights. Now, one thing I kind of thought about now, looking back, is this is a story that uh, is, is, again, pretty detailed and, and, and pretty good at developing characters and bringing all these, these intricate storylines together, these character arcs and stuff. I would have loved to see it in another director's hands who didn't have this overly quirky style. I, I can't think of any offhand, but if you just you know, gave me a, a director who's really good at balancing a lot of characters and dramatic storylines, this movie would probably uh, be a lot higher in... Not my rankings, because then obviously it wouldn't be Wes Anderson, but just like in general, I would I would regard it a little bit higher. But still a good movie. I like this movie a lot, but it has been surpassed since I mini-reviewed it by several other Wes Anderson movies, as you can see by its spot on this list. All right, I'll we're into the top five. Number five. Driver. Go. Go. Well, I think there's a real area of mystery about Don't me. Don't complicate it. Your number one strength is you have a car you can provide. Sell yourself. Start over. You ready? Go. Okay. All right. I'm a risk taker. I'm growing an entire crop of marijuana plants in my parents' backyard. I think that wait, shows wait a little. A second. You're growing an entire crop of marijuana in your backyard. Digging in, look. I'm just not that good at this selling yourself stuff, okay? So I'm just going to tell you the truth. I really want to be a part of this team. 
and I'm the only one with a car. That's good. That's good. Because that hits me right here. Okay, can you do me a favor? Take, uh, I want you to take these earrings and put them in Mom's mahogany box. Now, put them in your backpack or something so don't lose them here. These? Could you just put them in the box, please, Grace? You've really gotten into the bad habit of asking a huge amount of questions lately. Oh, what happened? I just have no idea. I mean, how did Grace get so cynical? Look, where, I can't answer that question right now. All I'm concerned from? about is getting you back in the car, man. This conclusion Let's get back in the car point. where you can settle She thinks down. I'm a failure. What? She said you were a failure? That about me at this point. What has she ever accomplished with her life that's so great, man? Nothing, nothing. Wait, you don't have to do anything, I'm not man. saying that she has to look up to me at all. I'm not saying that. Don't worry about it. Maybe she should. Why not? Bottle Rocket. This is some of Wes Anderson's best comedy. A, because it's not as overly Wes Anderson-y. I, you know, how many times am I going to refer to his style? It's not that style yet because it's one of his earliest works. And so it's just the strength of the dialogue and the slapstick even alone that has to keep it afloat. And it, it really works well here. And the same actually goes for the character development. We don't have a ton of these crazy traits thrown onto these characters, like in the way they dress or in, in some of their strange talents or, I don't know, abilities, I, anything that Wes Anderson likes to throw on his characters that are just little side details. We just have these really genuine and almost innocent characters, especially with Dignan. Dignan is really genuine, really innocent in wanting to just be this great criminal and learn from James Caan and pull off his own heist in the second half of this movie. I actually think Dignan is probably one of Wes Anderson's best characters, even though he's not as crazily detailed as some of his other characters. And again, by detailed, I mean like looking at his costuming and the way he talks and walks and all these little things that Wes Anderson uh, you know, details out. I, I really can't say that enough. I love how just innocent and authentic Dignan is. And Owen Wilson gives a fantastic performance wow. uh, in that kind of almost wonder he has for trying to just get this job right and work together with his, with his friends. Uh, I really love that. And Owen Wilson uh, nails the comedy. This movie resolves itself very well. I mean, in like the end sequences, Wes Anderson's endings are all pretty good, but I remember this one kind of standing out as just a, a neatly packaged little ending, uh, even in an un- unexpected way. A couple other scenes I love, the scene where the gun's on the table and they're just like, can we not touch the gun as they try to formulate this plan? It's a really fun scene. And the scene where they pull off their first robbery not too far into the movie uh, at a bookstore. That is a hilarious scene. I like the cinematography there, just this kind of handheld. We're jostling around through the bookshelves and stuff and trying to keep up with Dignan and and Anthony. Bob's a fun character. The opening 20 minutes of this movie are just like these kind of casual conversations and floating around town and hopping fences and visiting uh, people and interviewing Bob that really establish the characters immediately. You know who these guys are. They're these kind of, you know, just simple criminals that you're going to enjoy watching for the next hour and a half. Again, this was another pretty brisk movie. Love those opening 20 minutes. Just set the tone and the comedy up pretty nicely. Now, in a perfect world, this movie would revolve more around the crime narrative and you know dealing with James Caan and, and leading up to that heist at the end. It would revolve around that more and less about all the motel stuff in the middle with Inez. The Inez stuff is just fine looking back. It's nothing too special. It adds depth to Anthony's character, and it is kind of, the, it is kind of just the core of the movie when you look at it, besides the Dignan stuff. Uh, but it, you know, it, it just... I would prefer to see more Dignan crime, James Conn stuff. And this is most evident to me in that towards the end where Dignan is leading crimes or trying to pull off this heist at this warehouse, 
I mean, that is just a scene that is perfection in comedy and unexpectedness. I'm going to kind of spoil this scene here, but, you know, you can just skip ahead a little bit. I mean, the fact that he's like, they always go to lunch at this time, and that's the first mistake. And, 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 and Kumar and how helpless he is as he floats around and is sitting down. He's like, why are you sitting down? When the gunshot goes off and they think Applejack is having a heart attack. I mean, there is so much to love in that sequence. The masks, putting the masks on after everybody has seen them already. I mean, I love the high scene. I could watch it again and again. And it's especially, again, carried by uh, Owen Wilson's, like, shouting uh, performance here. He's just, like, in this sequence, he's just yelling, trying to get this to, to stay together, and it is just falling apart. Number four, this is a movie that uh, could move up in the future, I think. If any movie on this list has the potential for future mobility on the list, it's this one, and it's, and it's with moving up. And that movie is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. There's your gun. Steve! Steve! There's Esteban! Is that thing rolling? Vikram! Encounter with Holly, abnormal! Shark like fish! Ten meters in length, unfamiliar dorsal features, spots all over it. I shot it dorsally with a homing dart. Esteban was eaten. Check the scanning monitor. Start tracking before it goes too deep. Esteban was bitten? Eaten. Is he dead? Esteban was eaten. He was swallowed whole? No! Jude! Check the scanning monitor. He's got hydrogen psychosis. Crazy eye. Steve, they think you got crazy eye. What do I like about this movie? Characters, characters, characters. Bill Murray. I'm just going to name him by actor and actress names because it's just quicker and easier for me to remember. Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum all play these awesome, awesome characters. And then the characters that are even relegated to the sides a bit more work really well. You've got Vikram as the character name. Can't remember who plays him. Same with Pele, which is the guy that's just singing David Bowie songs 
acoustically this whole movie. And even the, gr the group of interns that floats around throughout this movie. All of the characters drive this movie, and I love all the characters in this movie. Particularly when you look at this group of characters together. There's this unity to this group and all the characters that is so endearing. It's almost like familiar and comfortable to watch. Like This movie was very, very cozy is a word I, I find myself going back to when I think about this movie. You look at this group and, and the goals they have and their, you know, you know, the differences that they have also, but that they're all just together on this tiny little boat or on this tiny little island and it just feels so comfortable and cozy. And I, I, I hinted at it just a second ago, this movie has terrific atmosphere. You look at the island and the ship and again, it's just got this small and comfortable feel to it. And we achieve this through uh, like, if you look at the island, we achieve this through, like, the quietness of the island. You get this main building with these tight little hallways, but we're, you know, dipping in and out of these rooms, and there's these little vignettes of people working on the documentary is kind of the, the core thing of this movie. Again, the way these characters seem to work together and are just like, let's film the next clip, and they're just, they almost feel like they're just hanging out a lot of the time in this movie. And the creatures, oh, I love how they do the creatures. You've got these, this great fake look to them, uh, with also these pops of colors, whether it be these little seahorse guys or these bioluminescent jellyfish on the island. Uh, the creatures, in having this kind of cutesy feel, actually really add to, again, this kind of comfort level this movie has. I don't know, this movie just really comforted me and had this great atmosphere, you know, on the ocean and uh, with this kind of Wes Anderson world. Loved it. And I also talked about the island and, and also that the ship was very, very much a, a part of this. You've got, again, these same kind of pieces. It's, it's got this small layout with all these little rooms that are together. You kind of get that dollhouse look at it. Uh, towards the beginning and actually later on there's a sequence where they're navigating it and again it just builds that uh, kind of coziness and then the same character pieces the way these characters are just working together and are this tight-knit little group I also want to say the costumes work on that these red beanies and blue suits I just love them when the coziness in this movie is interrupted it is jarring but it's it's still pretty effective I'm thinking specifically about the pirate sequence these are really big turns of events but they are still effective especially because these characters I really cared about him, even though I'm going to talk about a complaint, my one complaint with this movie in a minute here. And it's kind of funny, I say one complaint and I gave this movie an 8 out of 10, which is why this one is probably going to be mobile in the future. Like, I, I foresee this going up to a 9 at some point, but that's beyond the point right now. My complaint is that the storylines in this movie are, are a little bit unevenly paced or paid attention to. Uh, the way we kind of just float around these different spaces from the island to the ship to when they're trying to rescue their stock guy. We're kind of just moving between scenarios with a couple common threads storyline-wise throughout. It's the character threads that matter the most, but story-wise we are kind of bouncing all over the place. It's okay. An example of this was kind of the conflict between Owen Wilson and Willem Dafoe, not really explored that much and kind of resolved out of nowhere. But the characters and, and the atmosphere make up for it again, uh, especially when you look at the characters and their depth, like I already mentioned. Well, again, that can be a little bit scattered because we are just bouncing between scenarios, so now we got to react to new things, and, and there is a lot of character relationships that are crossing paths and, and sparring. We still have these kind of fun traits and depth, and without getting into too many like major themes, You've got stuff like father and son and, and, and children and like, you know, just family ties that are working their way into this movie. As well as, again, the, just the friendship that seeps through this movie, the unity of this group. The documentary idea serves as a great anchor point uh, that just kind of gives way to a lot of fun vignettes, as I already mentioned, throughout this movie. I also want to mention that uh, the, the gags with Jeff Goldblum, where it's just him on a magazine cover with this huge snorkel on his face, as well as spoilers the moment where he gets shot, he recovers, but where he just gets shot by the pirates. Those are great little gags. Two more notes. I know I spend a lot of time on this one. 
the, 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 the one member of the crew who's naked and instigates the mutiny, the mutiny stuff is fine, but why is she naked? It's like, come on, what are we doing here? All right. Like, I don't know why, why that was going on, but and that just seemed like a random little Wes Andersonism. I'll let it pass because for the most part, his style really worked for me in this movie. The last thing I wanted to mention was the Jaguar shark scene. That scene rocks everything about it. The music, the lighting, the way we've got like this lit submarine, but we're just looking into the black abyss as then this, this kind of pulsing light emerges as the jaguar shark gets lit up by the submarine and and is approaching the actual motion of the shark for some reason it's like this hypnotic you know just normal swimming but as he comes towards the submarine you just can't take your eyes off of it the acting is pretty strong by bill murray angelica houston really nails her part in this scene so does jeff goldblum uh in in what is a limited dialogue in this scene that works as well uh, and again, just this sense of like character unity as they sit in this submarine and take in this moment together, this moment that's just laid out so nicely. You get that rush of the fluorescent fish at the beginning that just breaks down into fantastic music in this scene as the jaguar shark swims around. Love, love, love this scene. One of my favorite scenes from recent memory, honestly. Are we safe in here? I doubt it. You still want to blow them up? No, we're out of dynamite anyway. It is beautiful, Steve. Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? I wonder if it remembers me. All right, so that is The Life Aquatic, one that would probably move up on this list if I gave everything on here a rewatch. Um, but the next few are still strong, so let's go on to them. Top three here, number three. What'd the doctor say? Nothing. Supposedly, it's just a 24-hour bug. He gave me some pills. I told you, he probably just ate some bad gristle. 
Should we take the shortcut or the scenic route? Let's take the shortcut. Oh, but the scenic route is so much prettier. Okay, let's take the scenic route. Great. It's actually slightly quicker anyway. Should we go through the hole under the horse fence or climb the rail over the bridle path? Well, I guess the horse fence would be a little safer. Oh, but the bridle path puts us right out next to the squab shack. <sighs> okay. What's wrong? You're acting all skittish. Don't worry, I've been stealing birds for a living since before I could trot. By the way, you look unbelievably beautiful tonight. You're practically glowing. Maybe it's the lighting. I've been in this town so Come long and back in the city. I've been taken for lost and gone and unknown for a long, long time. Fantastic Mr. Fox. First of all, the actual figures and the sets of this stop-motion movie are great. Uh, just, you know, all the little animals as well as the humans and then the hills and stuff like that, the fields, are produced very well. The colors and the atmosphere of this movie are, again, like I mentioned with Life Aquatic, kind of cozy uh, and just fun to, to kind of live in for a little while. And they have this kind of warmth to them. There's these yellows and oranges to the, the, the sun and the, and the backdrops uh, that's really visually appealing. And much like a normal director, like a non-Wes Anderson director, the side characters play a normal part. Like they play a, a decent part without being like ridiculously detailed with all these little strange traits and, and things about them uh, or anything that makes them unnecessary. They're, they're actually there to serve a purpose when you look at characters like Mrs. Fox and Badger and Ash and Kylie, Christofferson, even the rat played by Willem Dafoe is really fun. And while this makes these characters a little bit less memorable, on the other hand, when you compare them to uh, like other Wes Anderson movies, like for instance, you're going to remember a lot more side characters and family members from the Royal Tenenbaums than you are going to remember the crew of animals in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, I, I kind of appreciated that dialing back of, of just throwing stuff onto these characters in their costume and in their traits and in their mannerisms and, and, and giving them accents for no reason or stuff like that. I kind of appreciated that. It just felt like a more normal directorial choice. It allowed the characters to just bring their substance to the front. It's like we're just presenting these characters' substance, and I appreciated that. I love the pacing of this movie. This movie just flies by, especially the first few heists are just so nonstop fun in the action and, and Mr. Fox making these next choices and like, all right, we're going to go do something else and they break in, steal stuff. All right, we're back home. Tomorrow we're going to do it again. And then in, in a couple minutes, there you go, they're off again going to break into the next place. It, just, it was just such nonstop pacing that I loved with these fun little sequences of breaking in. And, and these little action moments of stop motion here. I'd say the voice work in this one is superior to Isle of Dogs in, you know, how memorable it is, in the way it fits the characters. Like, George Clooney is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like, I couldn't see anybody else playing Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's a great choice. Whereas all the dogs in Isle of Dogs, it's just like, all right, I could see anybody playing these roles. The three villain fortresses are just a fun concept to, again, have that kind of nonstop pacing of break into one, break into another break into a third one, and then have all three turn on you at once. That's just a, a good little structure there. And I just thought this stop motion in general was kind of unique. It seems so much quicker than what you normally see in stop motion. I, I remember specifically a scene where I think it's Mrs. Fox walking up a hill to meet Mr. Fox, and it just, it like, she just speeds up this hill. It's like this just super rapid-fire stop motion, almost like a flip book as she makes her way up the hill. And you see that in all the action scenes, again, with these heist scenes or all the great, crazy action stuff in the finale of this movie. It's, it's pretty unique when you look at other prevalent stop-motion movies. Even, again, Style of Dogs, this movie just seems to have really fast motion to it. So I guess that, that makes this movie fast-paced in both its story and in like its actual motion. It just feels like this movie is a roller coaster. I love it. And I think the camera movement adds to that as well. I think it's the first 
uh, like first five minutes where Mr. Fox and Mrs. Fox are doing a little heist together and the camera's just doing this horizontal uh, tracking shot, this pan. And it, it's just moving as we see the characters do these acrobatics over the barns and stuff like that. It's cool. Last little thing to mention, I love the, the little squirrel guy. Take a left and then to the right. Set him down. There's another back. Help that other guy over there. Live with your legs, not with your back. Flip it sideways. Don't uh, try to be a Superman here. All right, we got two circuits here. We got the yellow circuit and the green circuit. Let's just keep them separated. Hold it right there. Now we need to bring about 2% more in. Good. Here we go. A little bit more. A little bit more. That looks good. Let's get that bottom structure. Right. Love that guy. All right, we're into the top two. Number two, again with an eight out of 10. Excuse me. Uh-huh. The police are here. They asked for you. Tell them I'll be right there. Okay. Have you ever been questioned by the authorities? Yes, on one occasion. What, what, what? I was arrested and tortured by the rebel militia after the mm -hmm. desert uprising. Right. Well, you know the drill then. Zip it. Of course. You never heard the word Van Hoytel in your life. Got it. Okay, let's go. How may we serve you, gentlemen? By order of the Commissioner of Police, Zabroka Province, I hereby place you under arrest for the murder of Madame Celine Villeneuve de Goffin Taxis. I knew there was something fishy. We never got the cause of death. She's been murdered. And you think I did it. Hey! Stop! 2014 is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Now, I would give this one some mobility as well. I think if I rewatch this one, I might move it up to a nine. Fantastic Mr. Fox, honestly, same way. Life Aquatic, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and Grand Budapest could be nines. They're definitely high eights. Uh, I need to rewatch them if I want to do that. But I do love the Grand Budapest Hotel. This is the time where Wes Anderson's full quirkiness and full, like, you know, crazed artistic and detailed choices about production and costume and color and all that. It's where it finally worked for me without any anything that really took away from that. I feel like the, the production design and the look of this movie is so perfect for the story it has going and, and the kind of lore it's trying to build into this hotel and the people of this hotel and the owner of this hotel and everything works great. It also really worked in the comedy, too. It's got the kind of Wes Anderson staple of comedy of where we have this kind of dry dialogue at times. Other times we have great banter. We've got slapstick at times. We've got the kind of stop motion that even works as comedy at times with, with the toboggan or like bobsled scene. And even at times just like this straight inappropriate comedy that Wes Anderson does like to occasionally throw in. I didn't like it in The Life Aquatic because it was just like, all right, what are we doing here? But here it's pretty funny as we add to Ray Fine's character. I mentioned the slapstick. I'm mainly thinking about that scene where they all just start punching each other over Boy with Apple. And then we've also got very quiet comedy at times. The scene where the police come. Uh, they're hiding the painting, I believe, or, or doing something, and they're up in this, this little loft area. And this other worker at the hotel just leans in and he's saying, oh, the police are here. And there's just these moments of silence. He's, you know, tell him we'll be right down. We got this long moment of him walking down the stairs and then saying, oh, you think I did it? Pausing again for this other quiet moment of comedy as he then darts off. I, I, I like the use of just no music as well. Although I do think... As I mentioned the production design and all that and how it builds to this perfect world. The music works really well uh, as well. Cinematography, same way. This is a movie where the supporting cast shines the most out of any of his movies. While I really enjoy the supporting cast of The Life Aquatic, uh, I feel like these characters are even more realized than The Life Aquatic characters. Uh, when you look at characters like 
the priest who has just this crazed, wide-eyed look as he's like spilling the beans in the confession box towards the end. And Willem Dafoe's tough guy character is just awesome. And like in the scene where everybody's punching each other in Boy With Apple and it just like zooms in on his face, look at this vignette thing going. I love the character of Joplin. Goldblum's a great character. Love him. And Tony Revolori is very, very good as well. Any sequence in the snow or outside, I think is put together really nicely. Again, we got this kind of cool uh, use of stop motion style uh, you know, models. And, and I think we use matte paintings for something. I, I feel like I read trivia about this movie and, and something, maybe the hotel was a painting. Um, and and that, that just adds to this really kind of pastel and art, artistic world. Um, this world that kind of feels like very dull, healthy. The sledding scene, though, is, is, the, is the best. I love that sledding scene. And just Again, that has the same feeling as Fantastic Mr. Fox, where we're just like flying through this if it's done with stop motion. I think it is. I hope I'm not completely wrong here. I'm pretty sure that's stop motion. The Goldblum finger scene, you know what I'm talking about, is a great moment, as well as the shootout. And again, this is another one where you know what I'm talking about. Love the shootout. Again, yeah, I think this is just... This is Wes Anderson's most fully realized world without it going too over the top in the cutesiness uh, area for my sake. Grand Budapest Hotel, pretty solid. All right, number one. How can a train be lost? It's on rails. Apparently we took a wrong turn at some point last night. That's crazy. How far off course are we? Nobody knows. We haven't located us yet. What'd you just say? What? What you just said. Say it again. We haven't located us yet. Ah! Is that symbolic? We haven't located us yet. Where's those feathers at? In the envelope I gave you this morning. Meet me on top of that thing out there. The only movie that Wes Anderson has ever done that really drew any emotion from me besides maybe the jaguar shark scene. For some reason, I just really got hit by that jaguar shark scene in The Life Aquatic. But the only movie that ever did it on a couple occasions was the Darjeeling Limited. To me, Darjeeling feels like the superior version of The Life Aquatic. As much as I love The Life Aquatic, this is just is like feels like it's taking that to another level. And it's kind of funny, this is the movie that he did after The Life Aquatic. But it just feels like that on an elevated level. We've got the same kind of comforting and fun atmosphere here. It's not as like limited and cozy like the ship and the island of Life Aquatic. Um, but it still, for some reason, uh, has that kind of emotion for me. We've got these really detailed and, and in-depth main characters, developed main characters, that uh, are dealing with some of the same emotions as Bill Murray, this kind of feeling of grief and, and, and looking at the world with kind of a, a negative eye. But they're just realized a lot more fully, uh, with with great performances by Jason Schwartzman, Adrian Brody, and Owen Wilson. Wow. This is a movie I would really like to spend a lot of time talking about, why I liked it so much, um, but I'm trying to kind of keep, ideally, each of my segments about each of these movies on this list to about the same length. I can already tell this episode is going to be long, 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 and I, I'm figuring out a new show structure at some point. You might have seen my little diatribe on Instagram, but anyway. I think what's great about this movie is we have these really deep central characters and there's just less of them. You know, you look at the Grand Budapest Hotel and, and the Life Aquatic and you've got so many characters to juggle. And while he does it well in both of those movies, he restricts himself to three characters here 
and just fully sinks his teeth into those three. Again, there are side characters that pop in and out that work on the train or the mom and anybody like that. But in just primarily focusing on these guys, it, it works really, really well. And I think that's what Wes Anderson uh, can shine if he does. I, I mean, that's something that I like is he throws all these crazy little traits onto everybody. If he just restricted himself to throwing a bunch of those into a few characters, then you have some really, really fully realized characters. I feel like this movie reveals things at a perfect pace, like the use of backstories and, and flashbacks and learning things about characters, characters lying about things that we find the truth about later, uh, particularly with Owen Wilson is one I can think of. Uh, I feel like that's revealed at a perfect pace, all those little things, and especially the use of the flashback, the main flashback that comes in, into this movie and just explains so much and about the characters or about details you might have had questions about or just why the characters behave the way they do as well. It really just helps you fill in the gaps at a, at a perfect moment. The colors and the culture of India and the production of this movie go without saying they look awesome. This movie bounces between tones more effectively than any other West work, for me at least, that we bounce between some really heartfelt moments, some really tragic moments, and some great moments of comedy really seamlessly. And within that comedy, we have a good mix of Wes Anderson comedy. We've got the quick banter, we've got the actual witty banter, the dry humor, and, and he definitely utilizes the physical space of the train very, very well. Moving around the train, it's, just, it's fun to see like people's heads pop out of windows and out of cabins. There's a scene involving pepper spray, uh, if I recall right, that is very, very funny. And he also uses the physical space of uh, even the landscapes and environments well. I, there's a scene where he's like, meet me on top of that hill. Uh, and then we just cut to him running to the top of the hill. And it's pretty funny. I don't know why that, that guy will chuckle out of me. And to be honest, I'm still kind of unsure why this movie really like hit me way harder than any other Wes Anderson movie. For some reason, every emotional beat really, really worked for this movie. And that's why it's my number one. That was the Wes Anderson ranked podcast. Not really much else to say. He's a good director, not necessarily my favorite, but after watching all these movies, I could say it was a fun little ride. And, and I'm glad I did because there's some great little highlights in there. The Life Aquatic and The Darjeeling Limited will always stay with me. And Fantastic Mr. Fox and The Grand Budapest are some great movies as well. After that, it's kind of like I can take it or leave it. Except maybe, maybe Bottle Racket. I really love the character of Dignan. That's what will keep me coming back to that one. After that, eh, I, I don't really care too much for the rest. But solid movies in there. Wes, good job. All right. That is Wes Anderson ranked. So here's what I got to say. If you have your own Wes Anderson rankings, even if you haven't seen all of them, send them to me. I will read them on the show or I will put them on Instagram. I like to talk to other people about these movies. So send me your rankings and we can discuss. Especially because I feel like, again, uh, Wes Anderson ranked lists can really vary. People have opinions that are all over the place about these movies. There's not really a consensus number one or a consensus number nine, which is interesting to look at. If you, again, if you want to see my list, Letterboxd is the place to do it, at Film Dylan. You can check out all the movies I've seen there, little mini fun reviews, other lists I've made that I haven't done episodes on or I will once I complete the list, stats, stuff like that. Check out Letterboxd, at Film Dylan. Instagram, Facebook, at Podcast, Gmail, Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send me an email with your list or suggestions for the show, ideas for the show, movies you want to hear me talk about, uh, I mentioned this or I alluded to this briefly, and I, I again, I really talked about it on Instagram, but I want to rework the show structure because just the extended analysis, I really love the idea of, but it's not always the most feasible thing for me to do to a, a level that I am satisfied with in terms of detail and exploring the actual substance. Um, you know, I, I'd really like to to balance kind of the looking at this and breaking it down and, and almost looking at it with like an AP lit eye. That's what I always thought about for some reasons, like looking at these thematic elements and stuff like that. I really want to balance that with 
me just loving movies and, and geeking out about them with you uh, without going one way or the other too much. Just trying to find something that keeps this a little unique for you guys without it just becoming me rambling and, 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 sh- and screaming into the void about these movies. So I will be figuring that out and look for there will probably be some changes. But I do want to hear your input. So either send me an email or DM me on Instagram if you have ideas or if you have any, any things that don't work for you in the show that I can workshop. Go ahead and send that my way. And, and just to get back at that show structure thing, this is why there's been such a dry spell. I recorded two episodes, and I was like, I really just am not happy with what I said. I didn't in the extended analysis. I felt like I didn't say enough in terms of the breakdown side, and in the in the mini review, I felt like I was just kind of yelling out random compliments in no particular order. It just it wasn't good. So I hope to kind of figure this out. Um, this whole time that we're in has made it so that I should be able to record more episodes, and I just haven't. Um, but you know, then the life's life. So we'll figure it out. But anyways, I thank you for listening. I have been Dylan. That was every Wes Anderson movie ranked. If you liked this episode, if you like this show, rate it on iTunes, tell your friends. I really appreciate it. And uh, with that being said, I'm Dylan. This was Cinestudy. I'll catch you next time. Wow. Thank you for listening to Cinestudy. Mm-hmm.